Well, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Today is Friday, November the 13th, 2015. Today, we are in the big book, and we are in Bill's story on page 5, and we're going to revisit the fourth paragraph, I woke up, and we'll be the reader will read one paragraph only. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Jane B., the 12 Traditions, Anita L., and our readers of the text today will be Lisa H., Iris G., and Charles H. The share ID, which is a four-digit number for yesterday, that is Thursday, November the 12th, 2015, is... 8193. That's 8193. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 Steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Jane B. to please read the 12 Steps of OA. Star one to unmute, Jane. Um, perhaps she's having some... <laughs> I'm here, Janice. Okay, sorry. Good. No problem. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is Jane B. in Minnesota, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, 
humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for the opportunity for service, and I pass. And thank you, Jane B. I will now ask Anita L. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop overeating compulsively. Step four, each group, I mean tradition, I'm sorry, I'm saying step, tradition four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks so much, and with that, I pass. And thank you so much, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing 
and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. And in order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Well, today we resume our study in the big book on page five. We're going to revisit paragraph four, I woke up. And I will now ask Lisa H. to please begin reading. Good morning, um, a vision for you. Um, This is Lisa H., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Memphis, Tennessee. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. Um, Wow, Um, this is powerful. Um, This is, again, Lisa, grateful, recovered compulsive overeater for today. Um, Every day um, before I came into OA, every day I woke up and thought, this has to stop. Um, For me, the promises were frequent, and I can't count how many times my husband watched me put the sugar down to take it right back up again. Um, and, and finally, I came to the point where um, I, was, I started to hide this sugar in the kitchen and, and thinking I could hide the weight gain, which was you know, part of the craziness um, as a result of the sugar. Um, through coming to a vision for you, really, and having a 12-step guide, um, I was finally able to surrender everything, surrender all of me, the food, um, and I was able to put down the sugar um, just for today. Um, and so, as a result, today, the consciousness of the presence of God is the most important thing in my life. And I'm able to live in steps 10, 11, and 12. Um, and I'm so very grateful just for today. Thanks, and I pass. Well, thank you, Lisa H. Okay, we're going to open the floor. And who would like to comment on what was read uh, for approximately three minutes? Who's going to be after? KDF. KDF, next. Anybody else? This is Bella. Can I share? Oh, you sure can, Bella. Bella G. Yes, anyone Le- else? Larry. Larry K. Will do. Okay. Anybody else? Kim G. Kim. Good morning. Kim G. All right, we're going to go with those four. KDF is up. Wow, I feel like I won the lottery or something. Yeah, you This did. is KDF, Recovered <laughs> Compulsive Overeater in Virginia. And... I love this paragraph because 
you know, as Americans, we, um, most of us have tried, you know, diets. And I thought that, you know, I was a successful dieter and that um, the last thing I needed was this program. I came to my first meeting when I was 14 years old and thought it was the stupidest thing to think that you couldn't, you know, eat just whatever you wanted um, as long as it was like a diet-type food. And the thought of, uh, they called it total abstinence, it was gray sheep then, you know, it just seemed ridiculous. Like, I just needed to lose some weight and then I would be fine. But then that day came, you know, 14 years later, uh, I was 27, um, and I woke up and I realized that I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I couldn't go on a diet anymore. Nothing worked for me. And um, so I saw that I could not take so much as one drink. And I was in OA. I'd been in OA for six years at that point um, after leaving when I was 14 and, you know, uh, going out and trying diets and successfully dieting every year. Every year I would lose, you know, 20 or 30 pounds and think everything is fine. And, you know, in 1981... I thought, okay, I can't diet anymore, so I better go back to OA. And then even in OA, I would have, you know, temporary uh, recovery. So I would think that um, I just quite as bad as the rest of you. You know, it really wasn't that big of a problem. Um, And it wasn't until, you know, I I couldn't even put together one day of abstinence. I couldn't. Basically, if I woke up, then I was going to eat because the minute my foot hit the ground, I picked up food. And I never thought that it would get that bad. So this is what this story is showing us is that it progresses. If you're one of us, it is not going to get better. It is only going to get worse. And my own experience showed me that um, there was no hiding from it. There was no firm resolve. Um, I did make lots of promises. There were so many Monday mornings when I was going to do the next right thing. I was going to follow whatever new food plan because, you know, in OA you don't call it a diet, you call it a food plan. But uh, basically that's what I was doing in OA was I was dieting with group support. I didn't want to believe that I was truly incapable of figuring this out on my own. And... I am so grateful that, um, you know, I finally did hit bottom, and with that, I'll pass. And thank you, KDF. Okay, Bella G., it is your turn. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G., and I am a thankful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, Janice, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a strong paragraph. Yes, this is the disease. And I was there. Thank you, God, I was there. And I am not there anymore. I had written lots of power of sweet promises. Yes, I did so too. And, you know, I am not a liar. I am a very honest person. And I couldn't keep these promises. And I didn't understand why. You know, I, I didn't understand why other promises that I promise I can keep them and not 
not my promises regarding the food. And, you know, in the beginning, I was publishing my promises. And I told everybody, yes, I am telling you, I am promise you, this time will be my last diet because this time I will keep my weight off. Then when people didn't trust me and they even say, said it to me, oh, Bella, you know, we know you already. You are losing and then gaining. So I stopped telling people. But I promised to myself, Bella, you will see this time, this is the last time you are doing diet. This time you will lose the weight and you will keep it. But no, I never, never could keep my promises. And I just was losing and gaining triple, losing and gaining. This was my routine. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. And today I know it's nothing to do with me. It's not that I am a liar. It's not that I am not honest. It means that I have a disease and I am powerless. And today, thank you, God, I am connected to God, to my higher power. And today I know I don't have the power of the food. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. And thank you, Bella G. Okay, Larry Kay, it is your turn. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsible Reader. You know, it says I was through forever. Um, and and that's, that's exactly uh, what I was feeling. On, there's a particular day uh, in my mind years ago when I thought I had this disease licked. Um, I thought I had this, this deal solved. I had 35 days of back-to-back abstinence. I mean, for me, I don't know about you, but that was an eternity. You know, I hadn't done any step work, but I, I, was, I was, you know, hovering around this program. It was a Friday night, and my daughter, you know, a little girl that she was at the time, she was having a sleepover. Five, so five other girls converged on my home, you know, single dad that I was, right? And there was excitement and laughter and Disney movies and all kinds of stuff. There was also, you know, pizza and candy and chips and plenty of soft drinks and all the stuff that you'd have for a sleepover. Um, not a care in the world. Um, I felt safe. And, you know, like a good uh, OA soldier that I was, I was armed. I was armed with tools. I had my cell phone at the ready. I had a pen and pad, uh, my program literature, service. Well, of course, uh, look at what I was doing, you know, for these girls. And, um, you know, three calls a day, nothing in between, right? Um, and my diet was king. You know, don't, don't, don't glance at the Skittles, Larry. Just don't glance at them. Just pretend they're not there. You know, like I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. You know, and, and what's this? A thought kind of enters my mind. And, um, you know, next thing you know, uh, about the, the best idea I had at that moment was to uh, pick up a handful of Skittles. And, you know, and then I was off and running and uh, I hadn't, I had not had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. You know, the, the big book teaches us that, you know, the barriers that I had built to have a true relationship with my higher power, you know, they can be swept away through this process of recovery. And, um, you know, we, st- we step from bridge to shore. And for the first time, we begin to live in conscious companionship with our creator. You know, the miracle of my healing 
today is not simply that the food is neutral. That, that, that is true, and that's great, but it's, it's far more than that. It's, it's that the circumstances made me willing to truly believe in a power greater than myself. And, and, and it was these steps. I didn't know it, but it was these steps that where the power had restored me you know, to a mind that was, was kind of in, that God intended for me to have all along. But um, the, the disease will get you. It'll kill you. I know several, several people that have died in this disease, unfortunately. It's uh, much more powerful than me. But anyway, thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'll pass. And thank you, Larry Kay. And Kim G., it is your turn. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Southwater. And um, that's not me in the background <laughs> making this noise. Um, I'm going to try to inform in three minutes do two concepts here. I meant business, and so I did. You know, I don't know about you, but I had a lot of red lines. You know, the times I was going to stop. It often was a dress size. You know, when I hit a 16, because that meant I had to shop in the fat girl stores, I was going to stop. A lot of times it was a number. When I hit a 200, I'm going to stop. A lot of time for me. It was an age, you know, when I graduate high school at 18, when I turn 21 and I can go drinking in the clubs and get a boyfriend that way, I'm going to stop, or when I graduate college. And let me tell you, when I said I meant business, I wasn't lying. I know I lied a lot. I did. But I meant it. And you could hook me up to a lie detector test, and I would have passed. Because I meant it with every fiber of my soul. What I didn't understand was that I have this disease that will not allow me to make that decision. And I think of page 34 because it personally for me at the age of 23 when I stopped moving that red line because that was my delusion. I know I said a size 20, but really what I meant was a size 22. I know I meant 200, but I really meant size 220. I mean, wait, 220. So by changing the line, I gave myself the delusion I still had control. But I think at page 34, when I, at 23, I really, really meant it. It says, for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. Many of us have plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or wish. I didn't know at that point what I was up against. And I want to also compare that against this other line. I saw that I could not take so much as one drink. Bill has not met Dr. Silkworth yet. He doesn't know he's got an allergy to the body of obsession of the mind. Yet even through this funk in his brain, he knows he can't take one drink. And that was true for me. You know, I knew my battle was not halfway through the bag of Doritos. I knew my battle was opening up the bag. I knew my battle was opening up the carton of ice cream. I knew my battle was opening up the, the cellophane bags, a box, or whatever it was. Because even at, at an unconscious level, I knew once I started, I could not stop. So the battle was, how can I not start? Not understanding I had a disease, not understanding I had an allergy. I had those moments of clarity that said, I cannot have one. But unfortunately, that's coupled with the obsession of the mind that told me, yes, you can have one. So once again, the, the idea I cannot have one drink and that I meant business, but without a solution, they are both futile. And with that, I pass. 
And thank you so much, Kim G. Okay, would anyone else like to comment on what was read in paragraph four before we go Sarah, on? Sarah yeah. Yeah, Nessa R. Okay, and Nessa R. Melissa C. Melissa C. And I have Sarah, Nessa, uh, Melissa C., and whom else? Austin R. Austin. Austin. Austin R. Anyone else? Thank you, Monica. Mary B. And Mary B. Let's go with those five. That'll be fine for now. Okay, Sarah W., it is your turn. Good morning, Janice. Thank you so much for your service today. Good morning, Vision, to you, Sarah W. Very grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Um, The the part that I wanted to... um, to speak of as it says I woke up. I have to wake up every day. I mean, this does not stop where I have to wake up and realize who I am. Uh, I can't um, get it into my head today after being in in these rooms for over 20 years and think that I have it down. That's what I did when I went into relapse. Started to think that, you know, I had it. You know, I got it now. I I got the message. I know what to do. And now I can let up on my laurels. And, um, you know, the thought came into play very slowly and very insidiously that I could start taking back a little bit more. I was really at a very happy place. I was getting married. Uh, I was in a relationship with a recovered person. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, life is great now. And I started to develop some judgments. And judgment can be very dangerous. Um, so today what I know is that every day I wake up and I know the first thing I need to remember is that I am at my core a compulsive of reader that will never change. That doesn't mean that the disease can't be arrested, you know, con- contingent on my spiritual condition. But, you know, I too um, have to go back to the idea that I have to be willing to go to any length today uh, to take care of my food, to take care of my behaviors, to make amends if I need to, to continue on the path. You know, we continue for a lifetime. Thank you for letting me uh, share, and with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Sarah. Okay, Nessa R., it is your turn. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, a treat for uh, me to be live on this line um, Friday morning. Um, And now we're we're nearing... um, um, I guess the end of uh, Bill's descent into the abyss. Um, and he's out of control. He's he's totally trying to control the drink, but he is out of control. The drink is controlling him. And and over the next next few pages, we're going to see so many uh, vain attempts to uh, stop and say stop. And and we see him going through um, what the doctor describes in the doctor's opinion as the well-known stages of the spree where he puts down the drink and he feels restless, irritable, and discontented as a result of not drinking. And he tries to fight it off, but then eventually he succumbs. And then he, uh, he emerges uh, uh, remorseful. You know, in a few paragraphs, he's gonna, he actually is going to talk about that, how... Um, um, the four um, horsemen that are described in page 151, I think the first page of um, of the chapter of Vision for You, talks about uh, terror with bewilderment, frustration, and despair, you know, like totally confused. How could this have happened again? 
and yet it happens again and again and again and again and again. And um, the time, <laughs> the, the time lapse between pulling down the drink and becoming restless and discontented and picking up again uh, gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And that was definitely my story where the thought of going from breakfast to lunch, those mere three or four hours without eating, was unbearable, unbearable. And even when I came to OA, um, you know, the, the, the whole abstinence business was so unbearable. And, you know, unfortunately for my first nine years, um, in a way, I, I didn't know anything about this, the, the, the 12 steps, let alone working them. Um, as a means to combat that, that obsession of the mind that brought me back to the food time and time and time again. Thank God, thank God that um, I was connected to my sponsor who did take me through the 12 steps according to the big book and that cycle was broken. And by the grace of God, it will stay broken um, as long as I continue to work the steps um, in all my affairs because that is the only thing that really worked. Uh, promises or no promises, you know, diets, you know, resolve, decisions, nothing really worked because I, I couldn't. Um, you know, I, I, had a, I have a, a disease that uh, no human power can conquer, and so I need these 12 steps for life, um, not only to save my life, but for life because I have to work them um, every single day of my life to keep what I have found um, which is um, a way out of this cycle of the well-known stages of the spree. And with that, I pass. Thank yes, you. Thank you, Nessa R. Okay, Melissa C., please. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive over here in New York. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about how Bill goes from, um, you know, the drink is a luxury to necessity to, um, you know, this time he means business, you know, so there's a, a awakening up, a recognition that this is a big problem. This isn't just um, drinking for fun. You know, for me, it wasn't just eating for fun. It wasn't just eating for events anymore, but um, I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And so I made lots of promises all the time. And, you know, and like other people said, I really meant it. I meant business this time. I was going to um, lose the weight because it was always the weight, you know. When I'm real honest with myself, I wanted to go right on eating. I didn't really mean business about the eating. I really meant business about the weight loss. So, um, you know, and, and I was very successful at figuring out um, how to lose some weight, just enough for me to believe, to deceive myself that, yeah, I meant business and look at me, I'm doing it. Um, you know, but then the food always, the pull of the food always got me back again. And, you know, every time that I, I, I've exerted that kind of thinking that I need business, that, that has been successful in other areas of my life. I could be business. I could set up some sort of a plan, um, and adhere to it and, you know, and, and have success with it but never, ever with this problem, you know, no matter how much business I met, there's no logic. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm like an encyclopedia of knowledge about um, nutrition and caloric intake and exercise programs, and none of this has ever afforded me 
me the ability to live by it. And so, you know, this is still believing that there's some control here, that we can mean business, that I can mean business, um, and that I could actually live according to this business that I meant um, and follow my promises, and, and I can. You know, I, without power, but thankfully, um, you know, there is a power that has been able to remove the desire, the necessity, the luxury. And, um, thank you, that will pass. And thank you, Melissa C., and everyone that's watching the time. Austin R., you're up. Please press star one. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. This is Austin R. I am a grateful compulsive eater from Massachusetts. And I'm so grateful to be able to share on this beautiful paragraph because for me, it um, speaks to the spirit of a compulsive eater that we are forever, that I am forever optimistic that this next time, which I so fervently promise will be the last time, will in fact be that moment where I get a con- get control of my eating. And what I didn't know, and I'm still coming to learn, is that I was trying to wrestle with a ghost, a wisp, a vapor, something I couldn't see. And what I couldn't see was inside of me. And I was trying to walk this path by myself, making promises to loved ones who did lose, um, who I did lose credibility with. Um, but in fact, the greater credibility I lost with what the person I lost the greatest credibility with was myself, and just dug myself deeper, deeper into uh, lowered self-esteem, et cetera. But one of the things I've come to learn and I've come to accept, I've come to believe that this disease was never uh, intended to be um, arrested alone. Um, The the relationship I have with food, I was never intended to rebuild it alone, that I needed the fellowship and community of others to support me as I navigated this road um, myself and my own journey. And so, um, you know, again, reminded, as I recently shared, that this is a WE program. We admitted we were powerless. And I'm just so grateful for the fellowship, so grateful for all of you, and uh, thank you so much for letting me share. And thank you, Austin R. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mary B., you're going to be our last speaker before the next paragraph. Please go ahead. Mary B. Yes, good morning, Monica. Thank you very much um, for your service, and good morning, everybody. This is Mary B. from Central California, still in Arizona. Until tomorrow, I'll be back in California. Uh, These paragraphs, we see Bill W. spiraling down and unable to stay employed or productive. And I never lost a job because of my eating. But after my divorce in 1973, going to meetings and uh, practicing my program and got the courage to, um, to get a divorce, I had to go back to work after being a stay-at-home mom for 14 years. And I had a hard time finding a job. And finally, a benevolent employer who hired me because 
he knew I had three teenage boys at home and needed the job and would appreciate it. Um, and that was true. Uh, I didn't want to disappoint him, and I didn't until I picked up the food again. And I spiraled down so fast that I woke up in the mornings, several mornings, unable to get dressed and go to work. And I called in sick. And one morning I went to work and my boss said to me, Mary, you sure get the flu a lot. And I'm sure I used that excuse because that was how I felt. And I got so depressed. My office was about four or five blocks from the UCLA campus. I made a phone call to the UCLA Neuropsychiatric Clinic, told them I was depressed and had suicidal thoughts. I felt suicidal and I was frightened. They told me they could make an appointment for me in three weeks. And I guess I was so low I couldn't even argue with them. And I hung up and I made the decision to work my program. I had been going to meetings, eating, and spiraling down in my disease. But I got another sponsor. I got abstinent. And I, I remember that the UCLA Neuropsychiatric Clinic called me in about three weeks to set up an appointment. And I said, thank you, but I don't need it. The whatever time that I had, two weeks or whether it was three weeks, I doubt it probably was two weeks um, of recovery, just made a complete turnaround for me at that time. And today, I am so grateful that my higher power kept me alive long enough to experience the kind of recovery that I have and have been experiencing now. So at 78, I am grateful to be alive, to be abstinent, and to be recovered. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share. Well, thank you, Mary B. Okay, at this time, we're going to go on to the next paragraph. And please, Iris G., if you could read it. Iris G., star one to unmute. Hi, this is Iris G. Can you hear me? I can hear you now, yes. Okay, this is Iris G., recovered compulsive reader from New York. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way, and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder, for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. I could really identify with the um, well, with everything, but uh, specifically the, you know, was I crazy? And... You know, to think back on all the times and all the promises, you know, like Bill that I'd made and, you know, and then you know, just with not even thinking about it, I would I would pick up. And um, I, I think that, you know, until I really got into program and really got to understand that I had a disease 
and that I was sick. I mean, that once I put that in my mouth, that it triggered the allergy and the mental obsession. Um, you know, I, I couldn't have any peace. Um, and this reminded me also of um, I, I put something in a drawer when I first got abstinent, and I try to read it. I try to read it every day because it's a reminder. I mean, first is a picture where I'm very big, about, you know, a lot heavier, um, and the look of anguish on my face, um, that's part of it. And then it's also, you know, a letter I'd written that day um, of, you know, how I had treated, uh, you know, my daughter and how I almost killed myself with, you know, driving while I was drunk on sugar. Um, and I need that reminder. I need that reminder every day when I wake up that, you know, what this disease did to me and how I had no control. And the last thing I want to say is that, um, you know, there is hope because once I opened the big book and started studying it, you know, that mental, that mental twist was gone. And I have to say today, I mean, I work in a culinary school and there are all kinds of desserts. And if I tell you today, if I look at it, it's like looking at a vegetable. And if I have any thought, I just say, I will not go back. I will not go back to that disease state, you know, and for today, I thank God for that. With that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you so much, Iris G. Okay, who would like to comment on what was read at this time? Lindsay. Leah. Lois M. Lindsay. We have Lindsay, and we have, ooh, that second one. Sally. Lois M. Leah. Okay, we're going to have Lindsay and Leah. Oh, Monica. Okay, we'll have Monica, Leah, Monica, let me see, Lindsay, Leah, Monica, uh, Lois. Let's go with those four for now, okay? And then we'll pick up. Lindsay from New Hampshire, I believe. Uh, Yes, hello, this is Lindsay Recovery from New Hampshire. Um, This this short paragraph, my gosh, uh, just so much to say. You know what really jumps out at me is that 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 no fight, that that sense of how many times in the 35 years in and out of these rooms have been so convinced when I got through the withdrawal again and became willing and started doing the work and in my head it was there was no possible way I would ever turn to such behaviors to a substance that will will rob me of a life so quickly and being one of those people that can present very well because I've been in a you know so controlled about this, this disease can you hear me I'm sorry I heard something um, can I be heard I can hear you oh all right I'm sorry I was hearing something else um, and in that moment and and that is true insanity talk about crazy somebody that has come so close to thinking of having suicide ideation and, and and really feeling like they're ready to just, you know, passively do something, just quickly, you know, let my hands, you know, slip off the wheel because God knows I wouldn't be selfish like, you know, my brother who took his life, who, not that I ever thought my brother was selfish, but in those that would be going on, you know, somehow kidding myself that if I do that way, I'm not going to hurt anybody. You know, I'll be a, a people pleaser, an approval whore right up until the end. But that idea of, you know, craziness, no fight. And um, today I know beyond a doubt, I have no fight in me. When it comes to the disease, I cannot get in the boxing ring with a disease 
with the, the craving, never, ever, ever. And I don't want to forget that, that a moment can come to me just like that, just because I'm recovered to do some insane thing. And fortunately, you know, all um, action is born in thought. And today, of last night, for the first time in a few weeks, I've, I had some thoughts that are very familiar, and I got very afraid this morning. Um, and thank God that um, I know what I have to do, and I can look at what that fear is about, and I don't have to um, get to that point where I just pick up and there is no fight. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you so much, Lindsay. Leah M., it is your turn. Thanks so much, uh, Janice. Things are getting very messy for Bill, and I relate. You know, uh, he sees that this has to stop. He sees that he can not take so much as one drink. Um, but then, of course, he comes home drunk. You know, there had been no fight where it had been my high resolve. Um, you know, so Bill understands to some degree that he cannot uh, take in the substance of alcohol. He can't even take one drink in. He understands that. You know, his intellect says no more drinking. You know, his self-knowledge, his uh, willpower, he takes out his willpower. And, and yet again, you know, he's back drunk. And that is the cunning, baffling, and powerful nature of our illness. And I relate to this. You know, I would go to bed uh, crying real tears. You know, things would be deteriorating in my life. My life was quite unmanageable as a result of this illness. Um, you know, and I would swear, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, I'm not going to binge tomorrow, I'm not going to binge tomorrow, I'm not going to binge tomorrow, that's it, no more, you know, and, uh, you know, the next morning, or maybe, you know, in a couple of days, I'd be back at it, my fist digging down, you know, into another bakery box or a cellophane bag, and I am not stupid, I'm fairly bright, I have a decent memory, when I said I was not going to act like that anymore, when I said I was not going to binge like that anymore, I really, really meant it. I meant it. And then I ate again. And again. And again. And again. And again. And at some point, you know, I started questioning, what is wrong with my mind? Why do I not respond to humiliation? Why am I not learning from the consequences of my behavior? And the reality is, before this text was cracked open for me, I had stopped thousands of times. Why could I not stay stopped? Why was it that I was forgetting to remember? It was like my pain had no memory. I was suffering. I was miserable. I had suicidal thinking. But, you know, when I would eat my binge foods, of course I would lose control. But when I didn't eat my binge foods, you know what? I lost control. And I kept continuing to repeat that behavior, expecting different results, not learning from my experience that abstinence was not enough. I did not connect the dots. The big book had to teach me that I had a defective mind, that I was suffering from an obsession, where one idea would enter my consciousness and dominate it in such a way that all other ideas were shoved aside. And, you know, getting that understanding (laughs) deep down uh, that I was doomed. You know, and I was doomed not because of the allergy of the body, but because I had the mental obsession. And I began to realize and to understand that the only solution for someone with me, like me is to attend to a solution that gets rid of the mental obsession because I cannot do it by myself. I can't stop the thinking that keeps sending me back. Well, the steps are designed to relieve me of that ob- mental obsession, and it works. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you so much, Leah M. Monica T., you're up. 
Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Ditto, 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 and plus to everything that Leah just said. How can I follow that? Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. You know, here's a baffling feature of this disease. It didn't even come to mind. Every time, you know, every morning, okay, God, help me. I'm going to be a good girl today, and I'm going to follow my plan today. And, you know, I've had enough. That last binge last night was just the worst, and I feel horrible, and and I am just going to do this. This is it. This is it. I'm going to do it. And then what would happen? So what is this paragraph talking about? It's talking about the obsession of the mind here going on. Because I can put the food down like everybody else was saying. I could put it down. I couldn't keep it down. Why? Because I have this crazy mind. I have this obsession of the mind. I have an abnormal thinking in my brain. It does two things. It tells me these lies. And I believe them every time, you know. This is, well, Monica, you've been so good for 90 days. You can handle a cookie here today. Or it'll be okay, Monica. You can, you'll be able to handle just one. Or oh, towards the end it was, oh, what the hell, I'll just restart tomorrow. And tomorrow would never start. And then the other part of my mental obsession is I don't remember anything. I don't remember the consequences of that binge. I don't remember my uh, whining and pining and crying and tears running around my face half an hour ago that I was going to be good today. I don't remember any of this. I don't remember the consequences, and I don't remember my my uh, resolves that I'm going to do. And he thinks, you know, was I crazy? Yeah, this is th- and this is what we're calling insane. You know, are we are we mentally insane? No, but we do have this crazy stuff going on in our heads. You know, I am screwed because number one, I don't do what I want to do. And number two, I don't do what I want to do. So every morning, I would say, I'm not going to binge today. And every day I would binge. And every day I would say, I'm going to follow my food plan today. And every day I did not follow my food plan. This is unmanageability. This is because of the mental obsession. This is where I am totally powerless. And I must have a higher power that can come in and relieve me of this crazy thinking. Thank you, God, for OA. And I pass. And thank you, Monica T. Lois M., please, you're up. Good good morning, Janice, and everyone on the line. Thank you. This is Lois M. in Massachusetts, recovered. Thank you, God. Um, I, too, you know, (laughs) can get right in line and and identify and relate with everything that was shared this morning. To, down to the letter as well as Bill's story, you know, where there was no, there was no fight. I didn't fight. But, you know, my, my journey, I had st- my stages of this disease. You know, there were so many years where I could, you know, I would say I'm not going to eat today, and I didn't. And um, it's 20, I have also have a 20-year battle in, in OA, and I would go and I would lose weight, and I, would, I felt wonderful because I was losing weight, and I, um, I, I, I didn't really, um, I didn't choose to eat. I thought I was choosing not to eat because I was, I was happy 
You know, I was happy. And because um, I was looking good and feeling good and I was, uh, the fellowship was very nurturing for me. And, and I went on like that for many, for many years, really, on and off, never totally, you know, being abstinent, always losing it. But once again, thinking, well, I'm not as bad as you people because I can keep getting back again. And I did. I was, at the same time, I was trying to develop, you know, a relationship with my higher power because I did know that, you know, in regular OA, they would say, you know, God, ask God for help. And um, I would, I was focusing on that because I need, I know I needed the help. Plus, I not only needed it, I wanted it. I always wanted a relationship with a higher power. And more and more, the phases of this disease, you know, deepened and deepened and took more and more of me, you know, so that my disease progressed. Um, I became uh, less and less able to stop eating. And at the same time, the disease was taking more and more of my self-esteem. And then the more self-esteem it took, the more I began to avoid others. And, and it took, you know, I was beginning to feel resentful, angry, fear, very fearful. And I was unable to tell anybody because they would know, they would know and they would be watching me. So I, I, this, I was in a prison. You know, the food had, um, had taken over a bigger and bigger part of me. So that, you know, there was very less of me. I had less to give my family, less to even uh, feel good about. And I began to, you know, the mental part of this disease, cunning, baffling, and powerful, all day at the end of my, these, uh, at the end of the story that I'm about to try to describe, that, you know, every day was just torture for me. I would wake up and I would say I wouldn't eat. And then I would eat, and then I'd be full of shame and guilt, and then I would eat more to, to uh, take, feel better about that, to take away those feelings. And this continued and continued until I was on my knees, and I, it wasn't even about the food. It was just about the thoughts. I wanted this to stop. I wanted to, be, I wanted to go to a mental hospital. And I really needed to go to a mental hospital. And it, but it, that's what it took. This disease took everything from me. I was, a, I was very strong-willed, and it took everything from me until there was nothing of me left, no fight at all, and there, it was there that I found God. It was there that I was on my knees in a corner in a January, and it was there that God found me and gave me the grace to, I knew in a minute that, you know, there was, somewhere in the book it says like a, like a wispy breeze in the wind, a, oh no, a reed in the wind, and I knew I knew something had shifted, and I knew that I was going to be able to, to um, continue. Time, I could, time Lois. Okay, I, I knew I was going to be able to work this program, that was, and, um, and, and I did continue with that. So thank you very much for allowing me to share. And thank you. Thank you. I thought we could, you know, I missed Sally. I heard her. Are you available for a couple of minutes, Sally? Oh, oh good morning. Yes. <laughs> Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Envision, for you. And it really wasn't necessary. Everybody said such great stuff. I, I'll just uh, pipe in here for one moment and say that these two paragraphs are truly like bookends. They, I'm sure that we can all identify that um, in the morning we wake up and we're all ready to get going and we roll up our sleeves and we're going to start again. And then by the night, we're like a totally different human being. It's truly the Jekyll and Hyde um, of all of us that's inside of us. And uh, what I think is most profound here for me is that this is, for him, the beginning of him waking up to the reality that he has no control, that he has no choice, 
that he is driven and that he is owned by this disease. This is just the beginning of his wake up to the reality that he doesn't have a choice. It really boils down to being powerless. And here on page five, he is just waking up to how, just how powerless he is. And all of us, may we wake up soon, if we haven't already, to just how powerless we are over this illness. We need, we need a higher power that's going to take us to a new place. And I just thanks for letting me share that I passed. And thank you, and thank everyone. But I'm going to ask Charles H. at this time to please read A, a Vision for You. Hmm. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.